the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. This week, Robert Aaron Long, 21 years old, with a perverted sexual appetite and a perverse view of how to deal with sexual temptations, murdered eight people in Atlanta massage parlors. Some say it's Christianity's fault. He was beaten down with a outdated sexual ethic that needs to be modernized. Backward thinking where sex is concerned. Some say that it was an act of Asian racism without the slightest shred of evidence whatsoever. This is because that's what they want it to be. Some inside the church say it's the fault of men like John MacArthur because of their view on male headship. Those three different perspectives or points of view make these claims because that's what they want this act to be. They want it to be Christianity's fault. Another point of view wants it to be Asian racism. And another point of view wants it to be the fault of men in our churches who hold to the biblical principles of male headship. And they want it to be their fault because they want to abolish those views. What is the church to do? How should Christians think and talk about these issues? Should pastors be out front leading the conversation, helping people to think biblically about these issues. My name's Ed Dingus, and you are listening to The Reformed Rant, where I rant about the most important uh, social, theological, apologetical issues of today. And this day, March, what, 23rd? I am talking about the insanity of sin that we see in Western society, and this is spreading. This is this is spreading across the globe. We're going to talk about what we see happening, how the church should think about it, how you should think about it as a Christian. What the churches should be doing, at least for, at a high level. This this is not a lecture. This is just me ranting about what the heck's going on and making some observations based on a Reformed Christian theological point of view. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance.
All right. Romans 13, 12 says, all have turned aside. Together, they have become useless. Now, notice, it isn't just that we have individually become useless. He says, together, united, they have become useless. As a whole, they have become useless. As a group, they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Despite this text, which couldn't be clearer, as I look at the churches today, all of whom have this text in their Bible, I am amazed that there are so many so-called Christians in our churches who are not just uncritically accepting the moral standards of society, the ever-shifting moral standards of society, I might add, not only are they uncritically accepting them, they seem to be eager to embrace them. Part of the reason for this is the conditioning in society from kindergarten up for the past several decades around self-esteem and acceptance and being approved. It has been elevated to a place where any kind of perceived deficiency in affirming the self, in elevating the self, in praising the self, in worshiping the self is looked at with such contempt, shock. It is it is on the level of years ago, you you think about the shock that maybe people experienced when they were told about a, a mass murderer, a serial killer, or some massive tragedy. Take 911, which wasn't so very long ago. The shock, the feeling of shock that we experienced at such an immoral, wicked display before our very eyes. That kind of shock, that kind of psychological, oh my gosh, what just happened? Is now the kind of shock people experience when they are not, not just not accepted, but when they are, when the praise and the affirmation for them that they've set up as the standard in their own mind for how they should be affirmed, when it fails to reach those levels, they're shocked. So acceptance and praise and affirmation have become seemingly a necessary 
ingredient for human happiness and flourishing in our society. So that when that is withheld, the person falls apart. So this has become the perfect tool for manipulating the behavior of human beings in Western society and especially in American society. If you find yourself in a different society somewhere around the globe, do yourself a favor. Anytime you see a hint of this American psychological nonsense entering your community, your family, your church, you stand up against it with every fiber of your being. It is a pernicious evil. It is a cancer. It will eventually destroy any community that is seeking the truth about reality, the truth about human behavior, about human beings, about the world in which we find ourselves, and especially about our Creator. It is an enemy. Ephesians 4.17 says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind. Second Timothy 4, 3-5, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The problem in American society isn't intellectual. It isn't cognitive, at least not entirely. The dominant force in human nature is the desires of the heart. The function of the fallen human intellect is now to provide a rational justification for the desires of the heart. Let's say that again. The function of the fallen human nature is or the human intellect, is to provide rational justification for the desires of the heart. You've heard the saying, the heart wants what the heart wants. Where the heart goes, the desires of the human soul, that is, the human mind follows. Balance is being lost. Used to be that the mind served as kind of a check and balance system for the desires which inevitably shape the will. But now the order has been turned upside down on its head. The mind used to determine what was best and instruct the heart accordingly so that the will moved in a healthy and balanced way. The heart, the the desires of the heart, which could be driven by lust or a number of other things. I'll give you an example. Man and woman at work, both married to someone else. A lot in common. 
Each one finds the other's personality incredibly attractive, physically attractive. The heart wants something. But the mind says, no, no, no. You are married, you have children, you have a family. This will be devastating. This is wrong. This is not right. And the intellect comes in and provides some rationality, some balance. Balances out those wicked desires of the heart. Shapes the will. And in many cases, those temptations... Uh, remain temptations and are never acted on. And in many cases, they're not. In many cases, they are acted on. In many cases, the heart drives the mind, which finds a way to justify the behavior and leads the will, shapes the will, influences the will, directs the will to act in a way that is devastating to everybody involved. That, that process of the intellect actually shaping the desires of the soul, the heart, has been turned upside down on, on its head. In years gone by, the intellect, the intellect calls on things like religious convictions. It calls on things like tradition. Uh, it calls on, on the, 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 the things that have been instilled in it as this moral code, right and wrong. Don't act this way, even though you want to, because religiously you know it's wrong. As a Christian, you know it's wrong. Or as a non-Christian, as someone growing up in a society that has a moral code, the, the moral code instructs the intellect, this is wrong. It offsets the heart. Well, what is happening in American society? The moral code, which previously has been a standard that is Transcendent. I'm not saying it's always right. I'm just trying to explain how this has worked in the past. The moral code has been passed down from generation to generation. It has changed in, in many instances, but it, has, it is out there, apart from you, separate from you, imposing itself on you. What's happening now? What's going on with how these things are changing and the strategies that are in place for changing this moral code. The desires of the soul, the wicked desires of the soul are displacing the intellect so that the intellect now does not call upon tradition. It doesn't call upon religious convictions. It doesn't call upon things of the past that have been instilled and in many cases, they haven't been instilled. That's part of the part of the problem, is that these things have been abandoned or changed so radically that we are losing our grip on what is actually moral. Where that isn't taking place, the desires of the soul 
are now establishing what is right and wrong. The intellect now, instead of serving as a tool to direct the desires of the soul, to check them, to keep them in balance, that conscience is now displaced and it has a new job. The intellect has a new job. It appears to me the large percentage of human beings have displaced the intellect, moving it to a position of service. The intellect now seems to be a tool to justify the wicked and immoral desires of the soul and direct the will to act accordingly. So now the soul does what it wants. It has the desires to engage in immoral behavior. And the intellect is told to stand down or the intellect is reinformed by the desires of the human heart, which we know, according to the prophet Jeremiah, that the heart is desperately sick. It is deceptive. No one can know it. Part of the problem with all of this, if you understand anything about biblical Christianity and especially what the reformers taught, which I think is what Paul taught, the, the capabilities of, of the human heart in terms of depravity and wickedness, we don't know where the bottom is. We can't see the bottom from here. It's, it has those kind of capabilities. So where are we as a society? We're, worse, I mean, I'm not as concerned about society nearly as concerned about society as I am the church. I expect that society is going to be wicked. I don't expect, I'm, I'm not a post-mill guy. I'm, I don't expect a golden age of righteousness to uh, appear before, the, before Christ returns. I, I don't see that in Scripture. But where are we as a church? What are we doing if you look at the last five to ten years, there's been a massive emphasis on uh, a social component to the gospel. One that, that runs contrary to and is extremely inconsistent with what we see uh, in the New Testament. And that social focus has paved the way for uncritically accepting the morality of the culture. The idea for the last 10 years has been, and this comes out of the seeker-sensitive movement inevitably, so it goes back further than that, but it has, it has really taken shape and become far more prominent in the last 10 years than it was previously. That's to say that the, the, the ideas of the seeker-sensitive movement, the consumer American-type Christianity, took on a new 
subtlety and made their way into the church through things like, well, if you love your if you love your neighbor, you're going to be for open borders. If you if you love your neighbor, you're going to be for reparations. If you love your neighbor, you're going to fight injustice in society and racism and and eliminate it from society and those sorts of things. And if you're not taking up those causes, then you don't love your neighbor. And what good is your Christianity? Well, the only problem with that thinking is that Jesus didn't do any of those things. Jesus did not lift a finger to end injustice in Roman society. He didn't lift a finger to do that. Jesus was concerned about the message of the gospel, which he embodied completely, body and soul, entirely. He was the gospel incarnate. The liberty that Christ brought, the oppression and bondage that Christ brought to an end, was spiritual in nature, not political, not economic. But that is lost on pagans. That is lost on people who do not have genuine faith. And so the, this woke idea, this woke movement, this woke cult, this social gospel uh, movement, uh, came into the churches and paved the way for what we now see in our churches as an almost eager embracing of just about every moral uh, principle, if you want to call it that or call them that, uh, coming out of society. You 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 know you vote a certain way that supports wokeness because the whole principle is God is love and we're supposed to love our neighbors and therefore uh, this is a, the Christian thing to do even though the the party that parades this message that carries this message forward wants to put an end to Christianity wants to put an end to the seminaries wants to force churches and seminaries to embrace and celebrate homosexuality, gay marriage, gender dysphoria, abortion, so on and so forth. So this is where this is where we're at. The train got far too far down the the tracks for many pastors now to just turn it around. Um, but look, so, you know, here's the thing. No one's perfect, but I will say this. You don't have an excuse for the train getting this far down the track because there were enough voices out there warning you that this is where the train was going and you continued to focus on the fact that, no, it's not. It's not going in this direction. It's this is not this is not where the map takes us. But it was, and it is where the map was taking us all along. And there were plenty of people saying, "Stop the train! Stop the train! Stop the train!" And thousands of pastors didn't listen, 
and they just allowed it to go unchecked. Some threw their weight behind it completely, jumped on board, blew the whistle, led the way. Others um, just kind of tried to keep people from hearing the voices of those who were warning that the train was going in the wrong way. But they, they did it with, with subtlety. Right. Some were much more fascinated and obsessed with the fact that some of these people were screaming to stop the train in a way that was unloving and uh, was therefore uh, uncharitable and not Christian in nature without realizing these people were trying to save your life. They were trying to save your church. They were trying to save Christianity as we know it in this culture. And instead, they received rebuke and correction because they were mean, not Christian-like and ugly and so on and so forth. But here we are. Now look at us. <laughs> it, is, it is identical to the fact that we exchanged Donald Trump for Joe Biden because Donald Trump was mean on social media. And in return, what we have is a guy who isn't mean on social media but he's very deadly and dangerous and nasty to the very fabric of the values and principles that we hold dear in our country. And you think that was a good trade. Well, at the time you thought it was a good trade. Some people are already waking up and I have no sympathy for you. I have no patience for you. Don't come to me and say, I'm sorry. Stay away from me. I don't wanna hear your I'm sorry. Nothing has changed. This is the way things were before we had that event that we call an election. It's like a few years ago, I had someone uh, who argued with me for months about Obama. And within a week of him taking office, she came to me and apologized. And my response was, I don't want to hear it. He's doing exactly what he said he would do. Were you not listening to him? And now you're apologizing because he's actually carrying out what he... He didn't hide this from you. It wasn't a shock. It wasn't a surprise. This is what he was about. It's what he said he was going to do. Same thing is true with, with Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. Same thing is true. Don't apologize to me. Don't talk to me. If you have, if you can reconcile, if you can reconcile Christian convictions with the platform of the Democratic Party and find a way to support that platform, you have no clue what Christianity is about, or you're completely ignorant of the Democratic platform. But there is no way that you are well informed on both. Biblical Christianity, godly values and morals, and the democratic platform. And if you if you are well informed on both of those, then you have you have decidedly selected one as the most important one. You cannot serve God and Mammon. You cannot love and hate God both at the same time. To throw your weight behind the Democratic Party is an act of hate toward God and biblical values, principles, and morals. It is an act of hate. That's how the Bible would describe that kind of activity and behavior. 
God would say, why have you hated me? By installing a a group who will oppose the gospel at every turn. And this is because the church has, for the last 10 years, become so woke. And we think being a Christian now uh, means going down to um, the, uh, the food bank, going down to the, the clothes pantry, uh, giving people food and water, handing out groceries. And those things are good things, and Christians should do those things. But doing those things doesn't make you a good person, and it doesn't make you a Christian. And it isn't the essence of Christianity either. Those are the things that have been receiving attention for the last 10 years. What we have stopped preaching on, the sin of homosexuality, adultery, pornography, uh, illicit divorce, fornication. We've stopped preaching holiness and we've replaced it with love your neighbor and foster a child, adopt a child. Be for open borders. We've exchanged, we've exchanged biblical holiness for the social gospel. This is exactly what uh, Protestant liberalism did. Exactly the same. And now it's, it's at the evangelicals' doorstep. And the reason it's at our doorstep is because we have not equipped the body. We're still not equipping the body. We don't equip the body. Uh, we, we go through little check-the-box exercises and call it equipping the body. Uh, we install teachers and pastors based on their personality, based on their charisma, based on all the wrong things. And we end up having incompetent elders, incompetent pastors, incompetent Sunday school teachers, and there isn't anyone equipping our churches, our communities. And that's why we are where we are. Now, this society, when you look around at what's going on, I point this out to my wife all the time. You can see it in everything. Look at God's design and then look at what society is trying to do. This is a an outright overt rebellion against core Christianity, against creation, against the creator. We've redefined life. The, this is the, the amazing thing to me, is that the, the, we have so many Christians who will, who will listen to the wisdom of the world and their morality and their values when they've butchered how many 60 million children you're going to mur- you're going to murder babies and pretend to have the wisdom to provide me with moral wisdom moral guidance instruction a moral code you're murdering babies and you want me to take my moral cues from you i don't think so what is wrong with christians What are we doing? 
we've redefined sex. It's getting to the point where they're starting to talk about pedophilia in respectable so-called conversations. Lectures being given at universities hinting that people who are opposed to adult-child sexual relationships just don't understand the nuances involved or the benefits. It is utterly insane, outrageous. And this is a perfect example of what happens when the heart or the desires of a fallen, wicked nature, the desires of the soul, actually lead. And the intellect, the rational capacity of the human being, is now displaced from a position of, of balance and reason, and now it is dominated by soulish, soulish lusts and charged with the duty of rationalizing the wicked desires. This is the society in which we find ourselves. It is the nature of the fallen human to eventually get to this place. Who knows where the bottom is, guys? Who knows how far down uh, God will allow society to sink uh, before he intervenes. Uh, when you think about what's happening in the world, you think about God revealing himself. There's a, uh, there's a, um, an inverse correlation between uh, sinfulness and holiness so that the more sinful uh, we see the more depravity that is revealed, the more depravity that arises, emerges, becomes visible, the more into focus and higher we see the holiness of God. So one, one might think, well, you know, God, God is going to, in, in, a, in a way to reveal his holiness, he is going to... Uh, take this curse of man into the fall to such low levels uh, of depravity that his holiness is is even more and more exalted through this, um, and that's both that's both um, in in one sense exhilarating, but in another sense incredibly frightening, in terms of how far we might sink. All right, let's move on to another sacred institution designed by God that has been redefined by this culture. And the, the, everyone can see that these things are changing and shifting, but what I want you to do as a Christian is to recognize that there is a single cause. There's a single move behind all this. There's an agenda, a focus, and it's one thing, one thing that is being focused on. Whatever God designed, turn it upside down on its head. That's what you should be looking at. In how many ways, you know, you've, how many ways can, do I, can I count the ways that I love you or however the, the romantic saying goes. 
How many ways can man pervert and corrupt and distort God's design? That's what you're looking at. And this is where our mind needs to go when we look at what's going on in society, think about it, and then engage that society with the gospel. We have the next area where we've where society has, and, and the church plays along with this in, in one way, shape, or form. She backs up, she softens her views. Um, for instance, on the issue of homosexuality, um, part of the message has been that, you know, the, the reason homosexuals hate Christianity so much, or at least the biblical version of Christianity, is because we've been unloving and unkind and mean. And that is not the case at all. These, these uh, Christians are being blamed for what is essentially um, an act of God. Man falls into sin, and, and the, the fall... Uh, is by no means to be taken as man is the victim of, of sin. Man, Adam is not a, he was not a victim. Eve was not a victim. They are not painted as victims. They're painted as rebels. They rebelled. They rejected. They refused to take God at his word. They uh, insisted on autonomy. They're not victims. We think because of this victim mentality in our culture that sin is like cancer. People are just a victim of sin. We're not victims. We must own our sin. We must own our perversion. Yes, there are perversions. Homosexuality is a sexual perversion. The Bible describes it as behavior that is against nature. It is unnatural. Okay, and that, that's the Christian position. That's the Christian viewpoint. Any viewpoint that is different from that isn't Christian. It's something else. I don't care how often you label it. Christian. Calling it Christian doesn't make it Christian. God makes the view Christian or not Christian. If it's God's viewpoint, it's Christian. If it's not, it's not Christian. It's pretty simple. Those are the facts. We don't proclaim uh, these things any longer. We, 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 our view has been impacted by the culture, and we do not use the same language to describe these behaviors that the Bible uses because uh, people find those that language that the Bible uses to be incredibly offensive. The Bible doesn't affirm them where they are. It doesn't celebrate them where they are. It actually uh, points out that they are condemned it points out that they have been judged. It points out that they are under a curse. It points out that the wrath of God abides upon them. We don't talk like that anymore. That kind of language is completely 
absent from our churches for the most part. There's very few preachers, pastors, elders, Sunday school teachers who have the guts to stand up and simply speak the truth in love. Speaking and so here's the other thing, speaking the truth in love. This means this does not mean that you have to qualify everything that comes out of your mouth that's going to offend somebody. That's not speaking the truth in love. That's trying your best to sugarcoat the truth with something that maybe make, might make it taste a little bit better so that the person can get it down. I remember when I first became a Christian, I heard that expression a lot. We can't sugarcoat the truth. People who hate the truth will always find the truth bitter. People who love the truth because they are filled with God, the Holy Spirit, who is the source of all truth, will we'll, we'll find the truth to be incredibly attractive. They'll want to talk about it. They'll want to embrace it. They'll want to stand up for it. They will want to oppose every view that contradicts it. Right? These are the soldiers. These are those people that God has called to himself. These are the children of the light. Those who have been set free by the truth, who believe the truth, who know the truth, who embrace the truth, who walk in the truth. If you're looking for a group of people in your church to hang out with, to fellowship with, to grow with, to, be, to befriend, those are the people you should be looking for. They're going to talk about these issues in our culture. They're going to stand up for the truth. They're going to oppose the lies that culture is spreading. They're going to encourage each other with the truth. They are not going to ignore it, which is what so many people in our culture do. And in our churches, I mean, not culture, in our churches. It's what so many people in our churches are doing. They get together. They talk about everything but the truth. And if they do talk about the truth, it's at such a high level that it is incredibly safe, right? Pastors, when you're in the pulpit preaching the gospel and you're coming up with examples, use modern, relevant, current examples. Don't use examples that are so far from reality that anybody sitting there can listen to it and go, wow, he's just, he's just being safe. He's being safe. No one does that. No one acts like that. It has nothing to do with what's going on in our culture. Use appropriate, relevant examples. It's encouraging to truth lovers, to truth seekers, to people who love God and love his word. When you don't do that, it's discouraging because it causes truth lovers to question how much you really do love the truth yourself. If you love the truth, you're going to stand up for it. You're going to contend for it. You're going to speak for it. You're going to speak it. You're going to condemn everything that opposes it. Openly, publicly, without hesitation, without apology, without qualification. Are you doing that? Most of our churches are not doing that. And it's part of the reason we are where we are. We've redefined life. We've redefined sex. We've redefined marriage. We're redefining gender. You got 
insane men walking around claiming to be women and women claiming to be men. You have insane adults advocating for kids, little kids, to switch their gender, to identify as whatever they want to identify as, and calling it enlightened, sophisticated, loving, sensitive. It's insane is what it is. And it isn't, it is not because the intellect is broken. It's because the desires of the heart are evil. They are depraved. And now those desires are, are what is determining the moral standards that the intellect is now charged to justify, has a duty to embrace, articulate, justify, defend, and shape the will. This is what's happening in our culture. It's flipped upside down on its head. This is why, no, I'm not gonna go there. We've redefined gender, we've redefined the family. We even had recently, within the last few years, uh, people attacking, in the church, church people like Russell Moore, attacking a high view of the family using expressions like idolatry of the family. And where was this coming from? It was coming from homosexuals like Sam Albury, who were working and are working hard to change the church's view on homosexuality. Now, they won't tell you that. Of course, they're not going to tell you that. If they did that now openly too early in the game, they would be exposed. So all of this is hidden. And as we get down, the, as this train moves down this track, once it gets to a certain point, now it's too late to turn it around. How many times do you have to learn this lesson, folks? We see it with social, the social gospel, social justice movement. We see it with wokeism, the woke cult. It's going on with homosexuality, gender dysphoria, same-sex attraction. It's, it's, it's the same strategy. Uh, female pastors female leaders in the church. So we've redefined the family. We've redefined masculinity, what it means to be a man. Women, women are now telling guys how to be guys, how to be a man. You don't even have a penis. How in the world could you possibly begin to tell me how to be a man? I would never tell a woman how to be a woman. If you are a female and you start talking to me about what, it, what a real man is, you may as well shut up. I don't need you to tell me what a real man is. I am a real man. You need to go talk to some girly guy. This, now this is a hot button for me, in case you're wondering. 
Uh, I don't need a homosexual to tell me what a real man is. I don't need an effeminate man to tell me what a real man is. And I most definitely do not need a woman to tell me what a real man is and how a real man acts. All right. I have a group of guys for that. Real men who will hold me accountable. Not women. If you're a real man, then be a real man. Act like a man. Act like a leader. Act like Adam. Stand up and be a man before the fall. The reason we're in the condition we're in is that Adam did exactly, in the fall, exactly what a man is not supposed to do. He stepped aside and let his wife lead. Instead of standing up and being a leader. And look at what happened. And we still do it to this day. Right? The point is, masculinity has been redefined. The family's been redefined. Gender's been redefined. Marriage has been redefined. Sex has been redefined. Life has been redefined. Leadership has been redefined. People like Jory Micah, I think is how you pronounce her name, and, and Beth Moore, blaming men like John MacArthur for the shooting in Georgia. Seriously? And I'm not even going to give that any, any kind of credibility whatsoever. What is shocking to me is that on the other side of those kinds of statements, and they've made tons of them, their ministry thrives. What should happen if, if the visible church were even remotely reflective of biblical Christianity, their ministries would shut down immediately. In fact, they wouldn't have a ministry if that were the We wouldn't even have this issue. But the fact is that they can make these statements, these outrageous claims like this, and still write books, have people listen to them, have people buy their books, have people go to their conferences, have people follow them and respect them is utterly ridiculous. Their, their fans, the fans of those women uh, all of the, the women ministries. I can't think of one. The fans of these women ministries are abundant, filled with absolute ignorance and incompetence. If it wasn't for ignorance in those ranks, Women's ministries would not exist today, and they shouldn't exist. They have no place in the church. Men have been called by God to lead the church, instruct the church, and teach the church, not females. This is, this is turning everything upside down on its head. So we've redefined male leadership. We've redefined what it means to be a female to be a man. We've redefined truth. Truth is not whatever you want it to be. I mean, sitting in my own HR meeting yesterday, I'm listening to all of this, these resources and these plans about how we're going to respond to, 
you know, the, the violence against Asians that took place in Atlanta. There was, there was no targeted violence against Asians. It was violence against what this man perceived to be, true or not true, sex workers. Now, I don't know if, if, if those Asia, if those massage parlors were involved in that kind of activity or not, but massage parlors in general have that reputation. This man had a perverse sexual issue and a warped understanding of what he needed to do to deal with that. No respect for human life. I mean, he had so many problems. He goes out and he does this. But he, it wasn't, I'm going to go kill a bunch of Asians. That wasn't it. There's no evidence suggesting this was racially motivated. But, you know, truth be damned. We get a redefined truth. If we say that it was a, an act of racism, then it is ipso facto an act of racism, period. If we say being white automatically makes you a racist and blind to your own racism, well, then that's true. And no one is allowed to contradict that. We redefine truth. And as a result of all of this, we have redefined reality. This is no longer a world created by God in which all of creation should be singing, behaving, acting, thinking, speaking, doing everything it can with the sole purpose of glorifying God. We've redefined reality. Reality is now whatever we want it to be. It's whatever the depraved desires of the human heart want it to be. That's what we're dealing with. And as a Christian, look, <laughs> you're either going to have to give up biblical Christianity completely, or you're going to have to get accustomed to the reality that you're going to be hated, mocked, despised, no credibility whatsoever. Your view on life is wrong. Your view on human sexuality is wrong. Your view on marriage is wrong. Your view on gender is wrong. Your view on the family is wrong. Your view on leadership is wrong. Your view on the truth is wrong. Your view on reality is wrong. Everything you stand for opposes everything society stands for. Suck it up and get used to it. Now, you need to equip yourself. You need to prepare yourself for the hostility in, that is going to surround you or that does surround you at this point. And be okay with it. Stand for the truth, proclaim the truth, and be okay with people hating you because you're standing for the truth. This is not a cognitive problem. This insanity is not an insanity that's anchored to low IQ. This insanity is directly linked to morality. It's driven by the depraved, wicked human heart. And that heart is now, that lust, those desires are now demanding that the intellect justify 
every single one of those desires. We can justify the murder of babies. We can justify perverted sex. We can justify a perverse marriage. We can justify a man claiming to be a woman and a woman identifying as a man. We can justify the new idea of what family really means. I mean, if, if you're part of corporate America uh, and you, you work a job in a large corporation, you're going to notice that they think you're, you're, they're your family, right? They think that they want you to think they love you and they care about you. And uh, all this is is a ruse for corporate manipulation. They're going to impose their values on you, expect you to walk their walk, talk their talk, or you're not going to have a job, right? I'm sorry. My employer is not my family. You are not my family. I provide a service to you for which I am fairly compensated. But my family is my family. And they are far more important to me than you. And if that becomes an issue, I'll replace you next week, God willing. You know who I won't replace next week? My family. I won't replace them. This is manipulation at its in its in its in its glory and its finest. They've redefined everything about reality. If God designed it, they've flipped it upside down on its head. And I'm sure they'll find more things as we go along that God designed a certain way that they will pervert and flip upside down on its head. I didn't even talk about how animals are 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 viewed and talked about these days. They're one of us. They're equal to human beings and have the same rights that human beings have. Everything is turned upside down on its head. And the church, the church has to get serious from the pulpit, on the Sunday, in the Sunday school lessons, in the midweek service, in discipleship, in training, in equipping, in educating. The church must absolutely take its duties to equip the saints much more seriously than it ever has. This is a big deal. We are to make students, disciples, right? That's the calling of the church for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body so that the church is the light of the world. Amen. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Biblical Christianity's marketplace of ideas. BibleThumpingWingnut.com